So here we are um, with another show. I wanted to open this show um, kind of reiterating our introduction. And we say in our intro that this is a show about examining the ideas that we have inherited and how those unexamined ideas may impact our ability to thrive. So in the first two episodes, um, we both gave our personal account of some of the ways we'd taken apart um, our personal stories so that we could see the world outside of what initially shaped us. And we talked about how that has caused us to grow and change and that um, we now are on this course that has even put us where we are today. Right. Um, you know, those foundations have built up over time. We, we took them apart, right? So... We also laid out this moral foundations theory. I think you did right. that. Right, moral by, foundations theory. By Jonathan Haidt. Um, and we learned that this is um, a way of which people base the morality on some of these very um, intrinsic traits. Right, and right? it shapes how we kind of interact the world and see the world. and yeah. Right. So I say all of that um, to set up this show. So here we go. (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about identity politics, and I'm going to let Raphael explain that in a minute. But I wanted to propose the spirit of that again, of what we're trying to do. Um, We want to take apart ideas and some of those foundations and get a fresh heterodox look. Okay. so with that, you know, what, what I'm proposing is that we go forward with open minds and open hearts and that maybe for some, this will bring up more questions than answers, but that's welcomed, right? Sure. And, you know, if you have more questions than answers, then let us know, write us, send us in, you know, leave comments and we'll address as many as we possibly can. So we totally welcome that. That's on a website called America. Heterodox Americana. That's exactly right. This name is the show. Dot com. Dot com. It's on that website, the one that Raphael just talked about, not the one I did. And um, there's a place where you can tell comments, you can ask us questions, and then find out a little bit more about the show and who we are. For sure. So with that, Raphael, why don't you start? Um, I thought maybe since the show is about identity politics, you might want to just tell us what that is. Well, um, so I'd like to talk about why I think identity politics, like why it's important. I think when it comes to defining it, you you have a definition in your back pocket that's that's hanging out, right? Oh, you want me to read that definition? (laughs) Yes, I do. I have one in my back pocket right now. Let me get that out. So there's this... uh... A scholar, he's at the Brookings Institution. His name is Jonathan Roche, and he defines it as a political mobilization organized around group characteristics such as race, gender, and sexuality, as opposed to parties, ideology, or pecuniary interest. Did I say pecuniary right? Uh, right enough. I've been practicing yeah, it. Nice, nice work. <laughs> Means uh, interest of money, by the way. I looked it up. Yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing about identity politics, and the only reason that I think that it's worthwhile talk, talking about, so let, let's talk about how we got here at this show. Uh, earlier today, Angie and I were watching a debate. The Monk uh, Debate. The Monk Debate, uh, which featured Michelle Goldberg, Michael Eric Dyson, Stephen J. Fry, and Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. 
And although on the face of it, it was a debate or supposed to be a debate about uh, political correctness. That's fine. It's a dry run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, on political correctness, uh, Jordan Peterson actually framed it in such a way that it ended up being um, it ended up being a debate about identity politics. And you said he framed that right away from the from the gate from yeah, from the get go from the get go. So, with the exception of Stephen Fry, everyone fell into the the kind of discourse of talking about identity politics. Um, but you know, it occurred to me that this is. It, it, it's an important force that's happening. It's an important social force that's happening, uh, not only on college campuses, although probably most critically on college campuses, but throughout the United States um, with millennials and Generation Zers probably being the most affected, but also I think some, I mean, in a very real way, some Generation Xers being affected as well, as well as, as, well as some other parts of... Um, Society. Oh, yeah, who the hell is left? I don't know. Uh, for the for the generation Z for the for the um, for the greatest generation people who are still alive and haven't died yet, uh, you guys can let us know if you listen to the show. If you even know what a podcast is, uh-oh. uh oh, you can let us know whether <laughs> maybe or not we lost a whole section think, of our audience right there. Uh, there only there only six of them left. Okay, so that's uh-oh. fine. <laughs> for. Uh, but you know, uh, certainly, I mean, in a very real way, I think identity politics affects the political landscape today, uh, and it's going to affect how we move around um, certain types of issues in the future as more of the people who are kind of swept up in it uh, become more powerful. They become politicians. They move into society, and so we're going to have to contend with that. Um, yeah. Okay. So... Uh- why don't you, so we've already got the definition down, so why don't you tell us how they're useful and then how they're not useful? So, I mean, this is a good question. And, and uh, you know, I'm, so in case you missed it, I'm very squarely at the uh, the kind of end of Generation X, right? I'm like... Not as end as I am. I, I'm, uh, I'm on the other end. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, you just made it in. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right before the millennials come onto the scene. Right, I'm right before, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, oh, this is funny. Um, so the utility of 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 identity politics. I think the emergence, um, and you know, I want to give a quick shout out. Do we do shout outs here? Yeah. To the the Comedy River Collective, uh, in terms of them bringing it onto the scene, uh, even a term, right? The Comedy River Collective. Combahee. Combahee. River Collective. What is that? Uh, the Combahee River Collective is a group of collective, intersectional, womanists, uh, mostly black womanists who introduce even the term identity politics onto the scene. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to know that for the next show, so yeah. I'm not going to look like a stupid... It's, it's just a shout-out. That's fine. It's not I that know, big of a deal. I, okay. Uh, to my girl, Kianga Yamada-Taylor. Peace. Anyway. Um, and my girl, I mean woman. Uh, so, at any rate... So they brought it on. Yeah. I thought this was a white man's thing. 
because white people be thinking. That's exactly. <laughs> That's what the white man had me thinking. It's a good. It's a good thing. It's a dry run, huh? Um, but you know, in, in terms of the utility of identity politics, not, not as a term, but in terms of actually how they're structured, um, I think one of the things to understand is that. There are generally two things that people are talking about when they say identity politics, and I think one of the errors that we run, especially you know, you know, in this debate, Jordan Peterson um, was kind of, you know, caping for the conservatives, which he tends to do, uh, and then Michelle Goldberg kind of had the liberal take on it, while Michael Eric Dyson was mostly offering a historic. Um, justification for the existence of, of identity politics. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the, the kind of action that Michelle Goldberg or the rhetoric that Michelle Goldberg and, and Jordan Peterson, I think what they were engaged in was really two different understandings and two different ideas of identity politics. Uh, Michelle Goldberg was talking about, you know, this kind of cooperative idea of meeting um kind of the needs of distance franchised and uh and kind of this this displaced not noticed invisible yes all those types of groups mm-hmm. uh dispossessed dispossessed um whereas Jordan Peterson who you know is an academic is spent a lot of time on, on college campuses i think he was talking about the kind of uh you know collective mob mentality of 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 groups where the the group identity takes the four and the individual identity uh, s- sort of shrinks, where people are no longer their individual selves. They're only members of, let's say, some kind of oppressed group or some kind of group that is marginalized or dis- don't you, disaffected. Don't, disaffected. Can you give an example for both? Just a short example. So Michelle's example would be... So, uh, like a sexism. Uh, no, so Martin, you know, Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King uh, in this country is probably one of the the most, uh, you know, a figure that has like tremendous stature. And I think of thinking about identity politics in this way, we're talking about people who are disaffected, uh, they're disenfranchised in a very particular kind of way, and it makes sense. In order for them to live out their kind of, uh, you know, their best individual lives to band uh, as a collective and uh, take their political power and and bring it to bear on a system that uh, individually represses them. So in order for them to have power, they have to be a part of the group that that can gain power. It's advantageous to say this whole group needs we need to be we need to have more power we need to band together for power right and and no that's exactly right and i think we we see i mean that is that's the american way i mean it's the american way so much that um that you get to see this happen at every level from the inception of the united states i mean whether we're talking about uh the, the types of merchants that band together around like the boston tea party or what happens at lexington in terms of militia there are people who their livelihood their identity their part of a group uh, allows them to band together so that they can affect a particular type of sure. political change and would you say that this was what michelle was talking about Absolutely. Okay. So she was, you have to band together if you're an oppressed group for change. Right. And Jordan Peterson, this individual. So Jordan Peterson, I, I think what his fear is, and I, and he's not necessarily he's not necessarily wrong on this. Again, we, 
he's talking about an, an identitarian politics, right? Um, and the, that word identitarian tends to get used more with white or European identitarian politics. But it's the idea where the individual is sort of their individual identities are subsumed into the larger group. Um, and there's a type of um, the thing that, that that emerges that's important is really only only the group is important. Okay, can you give since Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was the example for the last one? What's it? What would be an example for this one? So, depending on where you you fall, uh, you know, in age, uh, these examples may or may not be as readily available for you. Uh, I certainly have one. Um, something personal. Something personal. Uh, but you know, just to give a, a quick outline of what this kind of um, this other form uh, of identity politics looks like, this more protectionist yeah. uh, form. It's the idea of of so it might be hard to distinguish between like um, here's the best way to think about it. Okay, if you were to think of a of a white male, right, right, who has had. Uh, let's say all of the privileges, mm-hmm. and we can talk about privileges later. I want to use this as a caricature. So, okay. if you happen to be a white male right now, and you're about to get your panties in a bunch, uh, unbunch them. Just hold on. Just hold on. <laughs> Same thing. Um, but if you're white, if you're male, if you are, um, let's say, cisgender and heterosexual, um. One could make, in fact, many people um, have made the, the argument that your voice, your opinion, what you have to say is not worth hearing because you have dominated the, the power structure for so long and have oppressed people for so long um, that anything you have to say is not worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Right? But this is not looking at the individual because we might be talking about, you know, Jacob. Jacob might be a fine person mm-hmm. and might be really thoughtful and really respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe Jacob actually gave some thought to what he's about to say. Mm-hmm. If you are white and male, even if you're a bro, say you're a bro. Sub bro. Does it mean that you have nothing to contribute? Sometimes it means that. No, it doesn't. Your broness oh. does not mean that. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, but that's the point, though. Right. Right? Because yeah. we can think it's of bros. We can I mean, think, it's hard. We can think of white, male, cisgender, heterosexual bros as having nothing to contribute. Right. As if their brains don't work. As if the only way that they operate is through their identity. But I think that's a mistake. And we lose individual contributions in that way. We also do the same thing with minorities. We see people as just at the intersection of, you know, I'm black and I'm queer and I'm vulnerable in this way and I'm vulnerable in that way. Um, but it's not looking at individual resilience. It's not looking at what this person has been taught by their parents. It's not looking at what uh, this person has has been, you know, what books they've been reading. You, the, the individual is lost, right, and their resilience is not seen. What's seen is their, their kind of ultimate victimhood, their ultimate vulnerability, as members of someone who is both, you know, uh, let's say, black and queer. So I have a few questions I'd like to ask about that. But before I do that, can you give me a personal example of this? 
so you know I was uh I was at uh, there's a bookstore in uh, in Philadelphia called Uncle Bobby's and um, I happen to be engaged with um, a person who self-identified as a female-bodied black person right um, and you know we, we were talking uh, after after an event about the role of um, the role of the male ally in terms of what it means to stand up to male oppression and what what she said was that um, that it's not her job I mean her argument was that as as a person who is female bodied and she contends with um, you know sexism. M- male sexism all the time that it's not her job to, to educate men right she doesn't have to do that emotional labor with which I disagreed but the thing that got kind of odd for me was she said well a- as a male bodied person meaning me as a man um as a male-bodied person, I don't get to say whose labor is what or whose, you know, as is to say that my ability to think and formulate ideas is somehow hampered or or prohibited. Maybe prohibited is a better word, right? Because you could have cogent thoughts, I, 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 but you're not allowed. But I'm, to I'm say. not. I'm not sure, right? Because oh. there's there's this other, you know, preceding idea that if you don't have the lived experience of this particular body type, then there's, you know, an, an epistemological question of the, can you even know? Do you get to say it because right. you probably don't have right. the Can you know it yet? and do you get right. to say it? So both of those things were, right. were, were at stake. Um, and what I was being told is that as a male-bodied person, I don't get to say and I can't know. It's unknowable to me. And what do you think about that? Uh, well, I think the opposite. I think that when we think about how knowledge is formed, how we get to know things... Um, so, you know, there, there's a false equivalency. There, you know, when I look at the, the embodiedness of a mind, and I'll, I'll, I'll agree that there is, that that's a thing. Is the embodiedness of a mind of women the same for all women? Does, does the embodiedness, um, I mean, however it is that you define woman, you know, a, a woman who is uh, 68, for example, and had a, a hysterectomy when she was uh, 17 versus, uh, you know, a, a fertile woman, um, however, whatever that means, right, who is 23 and pregnant. Are, you know, are you going to make the claim that their ability to understand a concept is the same, not because of the rigor that they've studied it with, not because of the amount of time they spent kind of researching idea, but just by the fact that they're both women allows them to understand in a way that is incomprehensible to men? Yeah. I I think that's a ridiculous claim. Well, I think that would take away a lot of the way, uh, a lot of opportunities to hear educators, uh, teachers, uh, doctors, nurses. Agreed. Everyone, really. I mean, the person who delivered uh, all three, well, the first two of my children was a man. And I, I doubt that he'd ever delivered um, his own baby. So, right. And, I, and I'm not saying I that mean, there's... his own baby from his body. So, I mean, I think he might have delivered his own babies, but not his baby. Not right. But not from his. He yes. didn't give birth. He didn't give birth. Thank you. Sorry. Um, 
Yeah, and so, you know, for me, there is an epistemological question that is really, really dubious or an epistemological, you know, assertion that's really dubious is that if you don't have this this uh, this kind of embodied experience, then you can't know because it assumes that everyone who shares that embodied experience is somehow they doesn't mean that they do know but it's suggested it's knowable for them and them exclusively and i think that's a dubious claim but they there are these bigger issues on the table right um whereas women have been um oppressed by men um and we could cite a lot of examples even outside of women we could go to race we could go to um disabled bodies i mean there are a lot of ways of which i think people have had to experience the oppression and those, those, that type of oppression matters when I think then there is a power differentiation, right? So here, here's the answer to that. And you are going to love this one. Um, we could talk about spindle cells, but I really want to talk about this very particular part of uh, human neurology that has its own neural circuitry. And it's, it's made of these particular kind of neurons called mirror neurons, right? And, and what the mirror neurons allow us to do is understand the experience of other types of creatures. And they don't even have to be human, right? I mean, we, we, so many of us have seen the kind of, uh, you know, PETA and animal rights uh, videos of cows being slaughtered the wrong way or chickens, you right. know, being mistreated. And you're like, ugh, like right. you feel it. Right, right. And the same is true, right? And so there are some social reasons that people will demonize other groups, but uh, which, which kind of subvert the, you know, the, the mirror neuron, you know, um, kind of effect. But it's certainly possible that if you are studying, right, and if you are looking, and if you are spending time with a disaffected population, and if you're if you're not a psychopath, right? If your mirror right, if you neurology have, is working in the way that it should be, if you have the best interest for the other right, party, then you will have this new fangled term, right? You'll have this thing that we call empathy, mm-hmm. and your empathy will allow you to t- you know to see into their human experience. And map that onto your own, you know, neural circuitry. Right. And you'll start to get an understanding on, on, like, just on the surface. Except for all the experiences that perhaps this person, who's a a female-bodied person, has had in terms of that it didn't. It didn't work out. It wasn't, there was particular oppression that the mirror neurons didn't play out that way. And she'd had some bullshit from some man. Right. Uh, or many no, men. no, no, not right. No, not right. Because that, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the ability for someone who is male bodied, right, to, oh, un- to understand. And what I'm, what I'm saying is that so there is if, an ability. I get it. If, if you are a man, right, and you happen to be, let's say you're, you know, a feminist studies major, and you have been, let's say you're even re- researching, and you are looking at research of, let's say, a particular, let's say, the oppression of. Um, of let's say Hopi women in the United States after a particular um, you know after 1945 and it's the only thing that you study and you're, you're coming out of a, you know a kind of a research feminist tradition you're going to tell me that your your genitalia your maleness prevents you from understanding the plight of the Hopi women in ways that 
a, you know, a, a black woman from Detroit who spent no time on the reservation whatsoever has more of an understanding I see just because saying. she's a woman. I see. That's a ridiculous claim about epistemology. I see. I get it. Okay. Um, so that's your example. Point taken. So that would be an example of identity politics. Run amok. R- run amok. Um, and that's what you're you're describing as the way that Jordan Peterson. I think he sees that it. as identity politics. Okay. But, which is not wrong in that. It's just that there's not there there are two major ways that our identity politics are playing out on the political landscape, and and that is the one that's that I think he's afraid of. Okay. So we have the Martin Luther King example, and we have the. Um, female-bodied person that told you that you didn't get to say something to her. As a male-bodied. As a male-bodied person. That's the other example. So those are the two ways of which. So, cool. so yeah. <laughs> so we have the, the um, perhaps the um, identity politics that work. That was Dr. King. And then maybe the identity politics that doesn't serve us, which is the one that you were just right. talking about. Okay. So, um, Yeah, I guess it also depends on what you mean by work, right? So, you know, is it helpful? Is it not helpful? Um, ultimately, and I, you know, I think that one of the things that we've talked about before is what is it that you want at, at the end? Um, and so one of these ideas is really kind of rooted in, you know, you know, in, 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 in this debate, uh, Jordan Peterson made this argument about... Um, about the primacy of of, indiv- of kind of individual rights and individualism, uh, and that's really like coming kind of coming out of the Enlightenment, and it's the core of the type of liberal politics that most Western countries are about, if not all. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe in this liberal idea of the individual has rights, mm-hmm. um, and that's not like a universal kind of human truth. There are some societies where individualism is. Is not the. Why don't you give some examples? Uh, just two. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Uh, so let's just take that one. Or right. the or the Amish, right? Okay. Um, where individualism Thanks is not the thing that they are. You know, I mean, yeah. it's not the primacy. It's not the prime concern. Uh, if that's the case, if that's the kind of society that you are trying to build, um, then identity politics makes a kind of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're not. Like, it's okay for the individual to disappear. That's mm-hmm. the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Islam, it's called the, the ummah, right? The ummah is, is, is the kind of great united community of believers. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not working toward an ummah, if you actually believe that, and, you know, one of the things that I, I think happens for people who they live and breathe in the West um, is that it's, it's easy enough to become unaware of how much our individualism matters, uh, how much our individual rights matter, um, because you don't see it, right? It's all around us. Um, but all you have to do is just place yourself in one of those other types of societies, like the Amish or Saudi Arabia, and I, I think you'll see pretty quickly, it's like, oh, I don't, I, I don't want to live there. Yeah. Um, or... I'd love to live there. Maybe that happens too. You never know. And if you, you know, if that's your choice, you're right. like, oh, I really want to live as a Saudi. Right. Um, then, like, that's easy enough. Right? Have have at it. <laughs> um, but but I, I think for, for so many people, when they consider the kind of force of identity politics, um, 
that they're not considering really, you know, what's at stake. Mm -hmm. And what is at stake? So the thing that's at stake, I think, is the project of the West, right? And you have to understand that the West has a project. It, it's, it's involved in this project that says that, and there's some trade-offs, right? There's some, there's some real, let me, let me talk, what, what's the project, the right? West, so the yeah. project of the West is one where individuals are liberated to pursue their own interests, however they have deemed fit. Okay. That's uh, the project of the West. That is absolutely the project of the West. All right. So we are individuals pursuing whatever we see deemed fit. That's our... That's, uh, our, okay. that's right. Uh, and there are some trade-offs to that. We lose community. I mean, I think the, the West in, in some ways is antithetical to like strong communities. Because we're all pursuing our individual interests. Correct. Okay. Uh, and the Amish know this. This is why they, they fought to be you know somewhat Separate. removed, right? So they wanted to be, yeah... Of the world, not of the world. Right. So Yoder versus United States or United States versus Yoder is that, you know, that case that they took to the Supreme Court. Uh, Because I think the Amish understood that the West is is that project of the West um, is harmful to to communalism. Uh, And and I agree. Uh, But it's also yielded all this other stuff. So the Amish make... You know, we live in Philadelphia. We're close enough to the Amish. They come and they do... Uh, farmer's markets. Yep, they come and do they have farmer's markets. They come and do trade here in the city, right? And them Amish donuts? What? <laughs> so, you know, listen, Amish donuts. There are some Amish... The whoopie pies. Right? There's some whoopie pies. There's, so, the Amish bring their food. <laughs> they bring their produce. And beautiful produce. Um, and beautiful Amish girls who look like they've been in the sun, just like working field all day. Let me tell you, the Amish bring, if you go to the farmer's market, let me tell you. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Do you really know that you're attracted to Amish girls? Who's not? Have you seen them, Amish girls? Are you kidding? Um, so, you know, the Amish bring their, their trade to the city. Um, I forgot. But, you know, you know, other than the money, they, they try to take away a, as little as possible. You know, when we think about what the Amish are good at, they're good at building barns. Mm-hmm. Um, they build little buggies. They, ra- they raise some cattle, right? Cattle. What the Amish are not doing is they're not producing vaccines. There you go. They're not producing the internet. They're not producing server farms. Uh, there are loads of things that the Amish society cannot I mean, there's not enough specialization. Mm-hmm. And there's not enough individual freedom of pursuit of like the thing that excites your mind, right? There, there hasn't been an Amish poet laureate in in Pennsylvania ever because okay. that's not what they're doing, right. right? They're doing something else. But the project of the West allows for the development of things like poetry and art and film and technology because and all of those types of things. It's geared to the individual. We pursue that which we love, right. which we feel called to. And we can foster that. And we can foster that. Got it. And that's really the beauty. I, I you know, again, Project they're the trade-offs. West. But that's what the West offers. Okay. So now that we understand the project of the West, what are the risks? It sounds like we get poetry and music and beauty and um, our own pursuit of our happiness. What are the risks? <laughs> 